All right, here we go. So First Thessalonians chapter 4, I want to welcome you. Our passage today we will be looking at is chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. I had thought maybe, rather foolishly, that we could get all the way through 12 today. But after spending more time this week in these passages, I thought it would be best for us to slow down. There's no rush. We're not in any hurry to get through with this study in 1 Thessalonians. So we're going to slow down and look specifically at verses 3 through 8 today. 3 through 8 today. So I would like to invite you to turn there with me. If you don't have a copy of God's Word on your phone or in your lap, maybe, or on your table, kitchen table or your side table, however it is you may be reading God's Word this morning, I would invite you to look on the screen with us as well. But starting at verse... Uh, one. I want to go ahead and read verses 1 through verse 8 this morning just so we can remind ourselves of where we were a few weeks ago. Last week we took a break from our study in 1 Thessalonians to celebrate um, and to uh, proclaim the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the day that we've set aside to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday, it's known by several things, but we as Christians know and believe that every day we are to celebrate Resurrection Day. Amen? That's the reason that we gather here together uh, in person or online and celebrate and study and worship and praise our Lord. So today our passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I would invite you to read along with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 beginning at verse 1. The Word of God says this, Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, two Sundays ago, this is the passage that we dealt with, these first two verses. He says, finally, then brethren, he's turning a corner here. He's not saying that this is the end, I'm wrapping things up now, but what he's letting us know is that he's moving into a practical section. The first uh, three chapters of 1 Thessalonians, Paul deals with his praise for the salvation of the Thessalonican Christians. He is praising God for his salvation, for their salvation. He's worshiping God. He's calling them again to holiness and those things. And now he's going to begin a practical section. Much like in all of Paul's writings, there is theology and doctrine at the beginning, and then there's always very practical, what we like to call walkology, at the end, showing us how to live out the doctrines of the faith. And so in these next verses, as we move now to verses 3 through 8, and, and really the rest of 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4 and chapter 5, the rest of this letter, we're going to see he's now moving into this practical section showing us... Just like he showed the original audience, those Christians in Thessalonica and elsewhere, he's showing us how to practically walk in holiness and in purity. And so we're talking today about walking in sexual purity. And that's what verses 3 through 8 deal with. So let's look at verses 3 through 8. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor and not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And all God's people say, Amen. That's right. That is God's Word. So we're talking again today specifically about walking in purity. Walking in purity. And so I would like for us to go back and look at this first verse, verse 3, in our study time together today. Verse 3. The first two verses, remember, he says, Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, excel still more. We are never to be in a place where we stop growing. And so he's going to expand on that now in verse 3 and following. He says in verse 2, though, You know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. These are not my words. These are not even simply the Apostle Paul's words. These are words that Paul spoke by inspiration, divine.
divine inspiration from God's Holy Spirit. God gave Paul these words for his good, for our good, and for God's glory. And so these are commands. These are commands. In verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, Paul gives these commands to a church in Thessalonica. This is a first century church, as we studied um, early when we began this study in 1 Thessalonians. But he is, he is talking to Christians in the first century, and it's a Roman culture in which they find themselves living in. Now, the Roman culture during this time was marked by sexual purity. No, that's not true at all. They were marked by sexual impurity. They were very impure. This was a very immoral culture. Sexual immorality was rampant. Not very different from the culture we find ourselves living in today. Certainly in the United States of America and elsewhere, Europe, and then other countries as well, we are living steeped in sin, and especially the sins of sexual immorality. Now, at this time in the Roman Empire, chastity and sexual purity were almost unknown virtues. They were, they were hardly known in that culture. Nevertheless, Christians were to take their standards of sexual morality from God, from God's Word, and not from the culture. And dear friends, can I just tell you today that that is still true for us as well. Though we are not first century Rome, we are the 21st century American culture. And again, this culture is perverse and wicked, and we are steeped in sexual immorality and other sins as well. And we are not to take our cues from the culture. We are to take our cue from God, from His Word. Amen? And so that's what we're going to discuss today. So Paul tells these Thessalonian believers, he says that this is a commandment. Verse 2, he says, you know what commands. Now remember, he was with them for at least three Sabbaths. That's about three weeks of time that were covered as he was able to instruct the Thessalonian believers. Now it's very likely, we, we would see from the book of Acts, that he did stay a little bit longer. But we know for sure there are three solid weeks of instruction. And during those weeks... It's not just simple things that the Apostle Paul deals with. He schools them in the Christian faith from beginning to end. And as we're going to see in the next few weeks, even talking about eschatology, the study of the end times. He's going to talk about the rapture. He's going to talk about death, about the second coming of Christ, about the day of the Lord, about all of those things that... Uh, our church has recently studied in the book of Revelation. All of those things, those were not like a graduate course for those early believers, those new believers in Thessalonica. He was talking about all of the things of God's Word, teaching them all the doctrine, all of the faith, as um, Jude would tell us in Jude chapter 1. Of course, there's only one chapter, but um, the faith that was handed down once and for all to the saints. And so Paul shares with them. He made it very, very clear that this was a commandment. And so he's going to begin to talk to them about a very difficult set of commandments here, how to live out this commandment to walk in holiness, to be sanctified. And so during this day, as Paul is giving this command, there was a writer in this culture named um, Demosthenes. And Demosthenes expressed the general amoral view of sexuality in the ancient Roman Empire. And let me read a quote to you. He says this, We keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day of uh, for the day-to-day -day needs of the body, and we keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. Let me repeat that. I kind of stuttered there. He says, quote, We keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day -day needs of the body. We keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. End quote. Now that just kind of uh, uh, it just captures the mindset of that first century Roman culture in which Paul is writing to these Christians in Thessalonica. And he's calling them to a higher standard. He's calling them not to be like Rome, not to be like the world. And it's the same call that we're receiving today. Not to be like the sexualized American culture, but to be like the Lord. And so he makes it very clear what the will of God was for the Christian. The ideal behind this is that of sanctification. Now, maybe this Wednesday or, or in a future study, we may talk more about, about the will of God. 
And if you have a MacArthur Study Bible, which I know many of you do, you'll see that there are seven um, different aspects to the will of God that are identified in your footnote for 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. He's identified uh, a number of things. They all begin with the letter S, which will help you remember them. God wants us to be saved. He wants us to be sanctified. There are a number of things. He wants to suffer along with Him and to serve Him. Um, And then three others as well. We're not going to talk about all of those things. We're only talking about sanctification. But dear friends, could I just kind of summarize what I believe God's will is for us all? God wants us to be saved and sanctified. He wants us to be saved and sanctified. Everything else really falls under those umbrellas. Now, so many of us want to know what God's will is for us. And we look and we we, we search the scriptures and we overlook the very obvious teachings about our call to be saved and our call to walk in holiness. We want you know, mystically to find some secret knowledge. We want to find some very specifics. Which car should I buy? Which girl should I marry? And and, and yes, those are important questions, especially about the, the, the person that you're going to marry. Much more important than, than what car you're to buy, what job you should take, uh, what house you should move into, that sort of thing. Folks, listen. God's will isn't simplified down to those types of decisions. God's will, as revealed to us in Scripture, is very, very big. It's about holiness. It's about salvation. Those are the key aspects of God's will for us. And folks, listen, can I just can I just tell you, I know I'm chasing a little bit of a rabbit here, but what job to take, um, uh, what person to marry, those things, if we would really wrestle with being saved and walking in holiness, do you realize that all of those other types of decisions that we need to make will very clearly fall under those things. God's direction will be made known to us through prayer and through His Word. He may not write it on the clouds. In fact, I can guarantee you God's probably not going to do that. That's not His um, His MO for our culture today, for our time that we're in. He's given us His Word now. And so we find uh, all that we need to know for life and godliness in God's Word. Amen? And so he may not speak to us in an audible voice, most likely, I would say, uh, probably, he will not. Not that he cannot, but that he does not operate that way. He's given us his word. It's everything we need for life and godliness. And when we seek mystical directives from God firsthand, we're setting ourselves up to be apostles and prophets. And those are no longer with us today. Those passed away in the first century. We now have a sure word from God. Read Hebrews chapter 1. Read 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2. You'll see that God's word gives us direction. It's everything we need, again, for life and godliness. Amen? And so yet, when we seek God's will, we need to seek to follow God and to walk in holiness. And I promise you, when we put God first, when we seek to honor God with our life through being holy and sanctified, the day-to-day decisions will work themselves out. As we seek to honor God, we will be able to take a job. And whether it's job number one or job number two, we will find that we can walk in holiness regardless of which one we choose. We can we can honor God and be sanctified no matter what type of car that we purchase. Now maybe... We might uh, think, okay, I'm going to go into a lot of debt and purchase this very luxurious car. But folks, if we're being honest with ourselves, that may be a pride issue. That may be uh, an issue for our boasting rather than for our holiness. God may not want us to spend all of our resources on something luxurious. He may want us to buy something humble so that we can support missions and so that we can support the sharing of the gospel uh, from door to door and, and, and for discipleship and those types of things to use our money for His good for His glory, for our good. Amen? So as we talk about the will of God, know that primarily it's to be saved and to be sanctified. And yes, there are other things that fall under that. But focus on those big things for right now. And So here in our text, we're going to focus, back to the text, we're going to focus on what's given here in our text this morning. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And so he's making it very clear that we are to be different. We are to be, as we see here on the screen, the definition, our working definition of sanctification, we are to be set apart for God's use. Specifically, sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live 
unto righteousness. That's a very technical, if you will, or a more technical definition of being sanctified, what sanctification is. But specifically and simply, we know that the act of sanctification is the setting apart. We're being set apart. If you're a Christian, you do not control yourself. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to God. I belong to God. I've been set apart for His glory for his use. I am what Paul says a doulos. I'm a bond slave of God. All Christians are slaves unto God. Amen. And so we belong to him and we are to die to ourselves, take up our cross daily and live for God to walk unto God in holiness. And so we see that sanctification is this being set apart. God wants us set apart from a godless culture and its sexual immorality specifically here. That's what we're seeing specifically. Specifically. So we're to be different. We're to be set apart from this godless culture. Now, those who do not know God, those who do not have God's Holy Spirit in them, they are unable to be set apart in this manner. And so we're talking to Christians here this morning. This is for every single one of us. Every single one of us in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Those who are are not Christians, they do not have God's Holy Spirit. They do not have the resource from God to be able to walk in purity this way. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't people who may be um, chaste who who are not Christians. Uh, There may be some. Yes, there may be. But they will never be able to walk in holiness the way the Lord God has called us to. We cannot be holy without the Lord. We are set apart by God. We are set apart for God unto God. And that's the only way. Our holiness doesn't come from our good deeds. It doesn't come from our morality. Our good deeds and our morality come from God's Holy Spirit working in us as those who have been redeemed under the Lord. Amen? Amen. Give me one moment. So, walking in purity. Now, the ancient word here. In fact, um, look at um, look at verse um, uh, look at verse three again. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, the words are the words sexual immorality in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written in. Here, in fact, First Thessalonians written in Greek, Koine Greek. This is not two words in the Greek. Sexual immorality in English translates from one Greek word. It's the word porneia. And the word porneia is that word from which we get a very uh, ugly but a very common word in our English language. And you probably know what it is. It's the word pornography or porn, porno. Those types of words stem from this ideal of sexual immorality. Now, they translated sexual immorality, porneia, as a very broad um, word. It referred to any sexual relationship, any sexual practice or activity outside of the covenant of marriage, outside of the marriage covenant. It's a very broad word. Pornography or porneia as sexual immorality here is not just the looking at uh, illicit pictures or videos on your computer or on your television or on your cell phone. In fact, do you realize that some, um, I, I forgot now, we I wish I would have grabbed this data. It just popped into my head. But, but there are millions and millions and millions of pornographic websites that you have access to through your computer, through your internet services, through your cell phone. And do you realize, it, it may see, seem strange to you, but do you know that some like 36, 37% of all the viewers of pornography are female? This is not just a, 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 an, an ill, a problem with men today. This is even affecting females. And do you realize that by the age of, of seven or eight years old, that a, a majority of children who have access to online um, uh, activity through phones and through tablets and those sorts of things, do you realize that a growing number of children as young as six, seven, eight years old are also viewing pornographic images from day to day? Folks, this is this is atrocious. This is horrendous. This is, is something that just should not be. We are a very sexualized society today, and I would dare say, uh, in fact, I, I would be lying if I said that that 
sexual um, promiscuity, that pornography, that, that this immorality has not been something that, that all of us have been affected by in one way or another at some time or another. And yet, we have God's clear will, His clear real will revealed in His Word here that we are to be set apart, that we are to be sanctified. And so, we must be sanctified from sexual immorality. And again, it comes from this word porneia, and porneia in the King James uh, in 1611, when the King James translation was originally given to us, the King James translation um, looks at this word sexual, this word porneia, as the word fornication. And so the word fornication is the same idea. It's sexual immorality. So whether you're reading sexual immorality or porneia, uh, or excuse me, uh, if you're reading porneia, you're reading from the Greek. Good for you. But uh, if you're reading fornication or sexual morality, both of those words are just ways that our English throughout the centuries has translated this Greek word porneia. Porneia. It denotes every kind of unlawful sexual activity or sexual intercourse, okay? Or, and again, it requires broad definition here as including all types of sexual sins between men and women, or between men and men, or women and women, even having to do and pertaining to those sexual kind of activities that sadly took place between men and, and children or women and children. And those things sadly still go on today. It should not be. That is, again, horrendous and ungodly. Ungodly. That's why we're, we're dealing with this. But again, this broad nature of this word porneia shows that it isn't enough just to say, for us to say, um, that you have not had sexual uh, intercourse, you have not had sexual relationships uh, with someone who is not your spouse. We need to understand that this ideal of fornication and sexual immorality is much broader than just that act. It deals with any type of behavior of sexual nature outside of the marriage covenant. And God's view, God's word uh, detailing that view, and what Paul is expressing to these Thessalonian believers and to us here as well is that all of those types of sexual behaviors are inappropriate for a Christian. God grants great sexual liberty within the marriage relationship. We need to see that. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 gives us some information about that if you want to jot that down. Hebrews 13 verse 4. But God grants us very, very great sexual liberty within the confines and the constraints of the marriage covenant. But Satan's strategy, and it's not a very subtle strategy either, this is an in-our-face, day-to-day strategy, is often to do all that he can to encourage sex outside of marriage and to discourage sex, sex inside of the marriage covenant. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's predominant. Movies, um, uh, children's shows, there are hints of, of promiscuity. Just think about TV today. Even uh, things like on Disney and, and Nickelodeon, things that are geared for kids. Think about how crass they are today compared to uh, how television was, you know, in the 70s even. The 80s. I mean, just, it's so prevalent today. Things, the, the line has just, has just continued to move more and more liberal, more and more, um, more and more uh, crass, and it's just not. It just should not be. It just should not be so. It just should not be so. So we are commanded here to abstain from porneia, all aspects of sexual immorality, and all God's people say, Amen. That should be very clear to us. This is what Paul is saying here. Now. The Bible, we might think, is is silent about the specifics of of sexuality and how how it's to be defined and spelled out. But but dear friends, let me let me tell you, the the Bible is not silent. There are there are verses, a, a myriad, a plethora of verses that deal with the issues of our holiness, our being sanctified in the realms of our sexuality. And so I want to deal with with 111 of those verses this morning. I'm just teasing. We're going to deal with just a few of those verses this morning. We cannot possibly look at everything God's Word says about human sexuality, but we're going to look at just a few things. We're going to look at just a few things. We need to realize, we need to realize that human sexuality is portrayed as good by God when it's not tainted by sinful perversion. God made man, He made woman, 
He made male and female, as we read earlier in Genesis chapter 1, that first man, that first woman, were created to be united, to be one. And folks, that is still God's standard for sexual purity today. Marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Amen? Anything else is a perversion of God's Word. And there are many perversions of God's Word today, but that is what God has clearly defined for us. Anything else is a perversion. Genesis 1.31 deals with that. So God created the human race, male and female. There were two distinctively different sets of sexual characteristics. There was a male, there was a female. There is not another gender. There are two genders. There, there are only two genders. There have only always been two genders. I find it interesting today that as we've looked at the statistics for the COVID-19 um, virus that's uh, um, going on today in the world, as we look at, at who's being affected, we see, not uh, as we might think from liberal media, that it's affecting males this percentage, females this percentage, and then there's you know a thousand other genders that it's affecting as well. We're not seeing that. We see male and female. The reality is, even a lost world knows, even a lost world knows how God created us, male and female, two and only two genders, distinctively different in our sexual characteristics. We were, we were to be righteously joined for a specific reason, for the propagation of the human race. That's why God created us as sexual beings, so that we could be fruitful and multiply. Isn't it? Isn't it? Odd that the world would seek sexual, it's not odd because the world's perverted, but, but it's interesting that the world would seek sexual gratification from ways that cannot further and propagate the human race. Only a man and a woman together are able to do things the way God designed. And yet, when we're righteously joined together, sex is good. It's intended for our pleasure also. We see that in Proverbs 5, 15 through 21. We read that verse or those verses, that passage earlier on. May have made a few of you uneasy with the language that it used. But again, God made us as sexual beings. And as long as we do so within the confines of God's parameters, within the bounds of marriage, sexual uh, relations can be wholesome and healthy and they can honor the Lord God. Amen? And so that's what we see here from, from our study of scriptures. But tragically, with the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, we see that in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we see the most vile distortions of God's will began to creep in and to take over. Satan begins working in this area of, of sexual immorality very, very quickly, knowing, like we know today, that the area of sexuality is a very key area. For our holiness or our ungodliness. And so Satan begins to work within the human race to distract, to divide, to conquer us in terms of our sexuality. We see that polygamy was practiced very early on, Genesis chapter 4, verse 19. And just, just note that though the Bible records the acts of polygamy, though God um, had people that He called by His name who also practiced those things, do you know that God never endorses the act of polygamy, where a man takes multiple wives or where a, uh, a lady may take multiple husbands? God records those sinful practices. God even allows it for a time. He does. We can talk more about that in another time. Maybe something you want to study. But He never endorses it as holy. It was never His intent. It was never His standard of purity and holiness. God's intent from the beginning was one man, one woman, together in the bonds of marriage forever. Amen? And yet... Very early, we see man falls into polygamy. We see very early, like with Abraham, called in a compromising position with Hagar. It's, it's adultery, even though his wife gives her her handmaid so that uh, they can thwart God's plan, delayed though it may be, in giving him a son. And so what happens? She has an offspring by the name of Ishmael. And there are problems that result as that relation, those relationships unfold. But we see polygamy. We see homosexuality. We see how Lot's daughters were initiated uh, into incestuous relationships with their father. Genesis chapter 19, verse 30 and following. We see Shechem rape 
Dinah in Genesis chapter 34. We see Judah engaged in the services of a prostitute in Genesis chapter 38. We don't have to look any further to realize that time and time again, like in Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah becoming synonymous with the with the sinful acts of homosexuality. Folks, every kind of, 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 of ungodly deed pertaining to sexuality is, is recorded for us in Scripture. We see all of these different types of, of sinfulness and, and these different categories of sexual sinfulness recorded for us here. All of them are against God's design and God's will. His will for us is that we would abstain from sexual immorality. Now, I want to... I wanna, digress just a little bit here intentionally all right this is not a rabbit trail this is an intentional um, um, go around if you will I want us to talk about the Bible's dealings with sexual purity and God's design for sexuality we we've talked about it a little bit already here together today but I, I want us to see um, in, in a few more details over the next few minutes what what we're speaking of um, specifically and, and let me let me just suggest this that the whole of scriptural truth on the subject can really be summarized in in, in three principles all that God's Word says, and there are, are many, many passages that deal with this, all of those passages can be summarized in three principles that I want to share with us in the remaining time that we have together here today. Three. And, and if, if you and I are to, to, to walk in holiness and purity and to be sanctified in our sexual practices before the Lord, if we would conform our sexuality to, the, to these righteous standards... All right, we will do just that. We will walk in holiness and in purity before the Lord. So let me let me give you three principles as they're given here. Three principles. The first one is this. And I encourage you to take notes and to jot these down. Take screenshots if you're if you're on your device. The first principle is this, and it deals with the aspect of who is involved in this 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 sexual wholesomeness. Three principles of our biblical sexuality. Principle 1 Sexual activity is to be between a man and a woman. Genesis 2.24 For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. The ideal is that the man and the woman are unified in such a way that we are one now. And if the man does anything to, to uh, engage in sexual promiscuity, he has tarnished and damaged that wholesomeness, that oneness. Likewise, if the woman does anything to, to, to damage that sexual wholeness, that sexual unity, she's also damaged that oneness. But God's design from the very beginning, and there's nothing in God's Word that says that He's changed this standard. Principle number one is still as true today as it was when it was established at the beginning of the human race back in the Garden of Eden. That sexual activity is to be, is to be contained between one man and one woman. Now, this is what God's Word says. It's to be between one man and one woman. This rules out the extreme perversions that we find uh, identified in Scripture, like bestiality. I'll give you some passages on these uh, when we put this online later in our on our church website. Grace Point, or let's see, uh, www.gpehchurch.com. I'll give you some, some places for you to study. But bestiality is forbidden. Homosexuality is forbidden. Uh, and, and other things. Um, polygamy is also forbidden. These are not God's ideals. These are not God's standard. These are called sexually immoral practices. They are called sin. That's the way the Bible identifies. And so this principle number one, sexual activity between one man and one woman for life, this is God's standard. And this identifies who is involved. A man and a woman together. Amen? And it brings us to the next principle. The next principle. Principle number two. Principle number two, simply stated, is this. Principle number two is that sexual activity is to be after marriage and not before. Principle number two is that sexual activity is to be after marriage and not before. After marriage and not before. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 is the, the, the verse I alluded to earlier. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Very, very sobering passage, but it tells us that this activity is to be 
after marriage and not before. It tells us the when. So the who is one man and one woman. The when is after marriage. The marriage bed is to be kept pure. This prohibits any sexual um, activity before marriage. And it addresses that, that, that ideal of when it's to take place. And so, so who? One man, one woman. When? After the bonds of matrimony. After the marriage vows have been um, uh, given and shared and embraced. And then it brings us to principle number three. Principle number three. Sexual activity is for mutual gratification between legitimate marriage partners. And what this does is it tells us why. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3, 4, and verse 5. Verses 3, 4, and 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And it goes on to tell us how we're to only withhold um, sexual activity between man and woman just for uh, a short period of time as necessary. But anything beyond that would lead to temptation and the possibility of sin. And so we're to honor these principles. Principle 1 tells us who. Principle 2 tells us when. Principle 3 tells us why. Principle 3 tells us that it's for mutual gratification between legitimate sexual partners, marriage partners. That's the legitimate partners that God has in view. So this would prevent uh, or forbid incest. This would forbid adultery. This would forbid homosexual activity. This would forbid, again, bestiality. This would forbid any sort of sexual practice outside of the confines of one man and one woman for life. The marriage bed is to be kept pure. And so we see these three principles. Who? One man and one woman. When? After marriage. And why? So that you can be sexually gratified and honor God with your sexual relationship. That helps us to understand the why. God wants us to be healthy in the realms of sexual um, activity, in the realms of sexual gratification, in the realms of, uh, of sexuality, if you will. And so these three um, principles, these three principles help us to understand what God's ideal for sexuality is to be. That's what the Bible teaches. And again, there are other things, but these three principles kind of summarize what God's Word says. Amen? You still tracking with me? <laughs> All right, give me just one moment. <clears throat> now turn back to 1 Thessalonians. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians. I've lost a page here. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians. There we go. Alright. Turn back to verse 4. We've gotten very far, haven't we? <laughs> We're halfway through. We're going to pick up a little speed now. Look at verse 4. We've already seen that God's will for us is our sanctification. That we would be set apart, that we would be holy, that we would be different from the world in regards specifically to our sexual activity. Who, when, and where? Or who, when, and why? One man, one woman, in the confines of marriage, for our gratification and God's glory. That's the who, the when, and the why. Now look at verse 4. That each of you knows how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So here's the next big point we need to see. There are, there are commands here for our walking in purity. We're to be holy. We're to be sanctified. We're to walk in holiness before the Lord, being sanctified, not being sexually immoral. And now we see that we are to learn how to command our own vessel. We're to live differently than the world when we possess our body in sanctification and in honor. That's what will happen. We will necessarily be different. Immorality is the opposite of honor because it degrades and it debases God's plan, God's idea, God's standard, and even our own soul, our, our spirit are debased. Now those who do not restrain their sexual desires, do you realize that we're not acting um, like humans the way God designed us to? When we 
um, when we do not restrain our sexual desires, we are acting more like animals than we are human beings. Humans have been created in the image of God. Animals have not. Animals are 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 more base by nature. They they act on instinct. On, uh, but humans, we have the ability to reason and to think. We have the the ability to choose rightly to honor God and to walk in purity. And so we are to restrain ourselves. So each of you to know how to possess. This tells us this command is that we are to take part in the the intentional act of being holy in our sexuality. We're to be sanctified in our sexuality. We can do this. This is something that is within our wheelhouse. It's within our our ability to do. And we're to do that. So, he says the phrase that each of you should know. It indicates that this demand uh, being made applies to every single individual member of the church. It's the same moral standards that we are all to hold, uphold rather, we're all to have, all to engage in. This isn't just for the pastors. This isn't just for those who really want to be holy. This is for every Christian, everyone who has been set apart by God, everyone who is who is called upon the name of the Lord. We are all to be sanctified. And friends, just remember, we're either becoming more and more like God or we are not. There is no coasting. There is no neutrality. We're either becoming less holy or more more holy, and we are all called to more and more be sanctified in this area of sanctification in our sexuality. So, now, just note, there is a little bit of confusion about this word um, vessel, this word vessel. There's two big thoughts here. One is that the vessel is speaking, being spoken of here is the wife of the men or the wife of the man uh, specifically in view here. So, so men, as you're, uh, as the men were reading this, Paul is telling them that they are to control the vessel of their wives. Okay, but um, I don't believe that's the best idea. That word vessel is used of 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 people at times. It absolutely is. Um, again, for further study, I may give you a few more notes. In fact, uh, I believe it's Richard Mayhew, Dr. Richard Mayhew, who gives uh, something like seven reasons why this is most likely, most probably, not speaking of the wife here as the vessel, but of our own body, each of us as the vessel. And I believe that fits well in this passage because this was read to the church, not just the men, but to the men, to the women, everyone who was hearing of this letter. They were all too corporately, or, or individual as a group, I guess, the individuals within the group, let me say it that way, were all to take part in in abstaining from sexual immorality. And so so the word vessel then would, would, would pertain to um, our own body, our own body. He's, he's ex- expressing that need for each person, each Christian, to possess and hold his own body, his own vessel, in a way that honors God. You see, 1 Corinthians 6.18 while we may sin against God and we may sin against others with our sexuality by engaging in fornication, adultery, or, or, or something along those lines, we, we primarily we are sinning against our own flesh, our own soul, our own body, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 18. But I believe vessel here should best be interpreted as, as that, our own body. And so notice what he says here. He says that, that we each should know how to possess our own vessel, in sanctification and honor, look at verse 5, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. The Gentiles who, 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 who do not know God, you see, they knew many gods. And what the Gentiles in this early Roman, uh, Romanized culture, what they were doing, they were simply living up to the standards of the plethora of gods that they all chose to worship. And remember, they couldn't, they couldn't do what Paul was calling on the Christians to do here. They couldn't say, Hey, let's us be sexually holy and pure like Zeus, like Apollos. They couldn't do it because Zeus nor Apollos were sexually pure. They were very immoral immoral and promiscuous, sexually speaking. And so Paul is going against the cultural grain, just like Christians, we are going against the grain today. We are to, to control our own vessel, not in the way that those who do not know God are. Folks, again... You can watch movies. You can turn on the TV. 
I pray that you will not be one of those millions who has pornographic uh, apps on your phone so that you can look at pornography. I pray that men especially, but women as well, I pray that we will not do those things. We must abstain from those things. But I pray that we will not walk like those pagans who do not know God, those ungodly ones who do not know the Lord God, that we would walk in holiness. And so the command for us here is to learn how to control our own selves. We should be different from the world around us. We should walk in holiness. But then he goes on. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. And that no man transgresses and defrauds his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger of all. The Lord is the avenger of all. And he'll go on. We'll pick up on that in just a moment. But notice again that no man transgresses and uh, defrauds his brother in this matter. You see, when we are sexually immoral, we take advantage of and defraud others and we cheat them in greater ways than we realize. The adulterer defrauds his mate and his children. The fornicator defrauds his future mate and his children, future children, and both defraud their illicit partner. Folks, when we look at pornographic images, we are defrauding, we are we are we are we are devaluing those women or those men or those children. Oh, that would be horrible, but but we're we're devaluing that life as we as we oodle, as we awe over that image. We're also rewiring our brain. We're going to talk more about this in the days ahead, but but we're creating damage beyond our ability to rectify. But God can. God can heal us. Well, folks, we are doing greater damage than we realize. But we are we are transgressing and defrauding not just ourselves, not just God, but those people that we are objectifying, or our wife, or our husband, our children, or the future spouse that we may yet have acquired. We are doing all of those things and more. Adultery is an obvious violation of the rights of another, but promiscuity before marriage is also robbing someone else of their holiness and their pure their purity. Our future partners are also defrauded out of a holy and pure relationship. And so many of us have been tainted by these sexual problems and sinful uh, ways in our past, but we must repent and set those things aside and seek to walk in holiness. Amen. And so, no one should defraud another. No one should transgress against their brother or their sister. Future spouse, current spouse, or children, be they current or future as well. And now, if I could just very quickly, let me tell you why. Because Paul tells us why here. He gives us three very obvious reasons, among, among many, obviously, but there are three obvious reasons here why we should abide by God's rules for sexual purity. And so the first one we see there in verse 6, the end of it. No man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter because, here's why, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Remember, Paul's writing to them. He's already taught them these things. He's reminding them to walk in purity. Now, there's nothing in this letter that indicates that they were having trouble here specifically, and yet he's reminding them because this is such a prevalent problem in humanity. We must be sexually pure. This is a great need for us in the church today. And so, the reason number one is that we're to be sexually pure is because we can be certain God will punish those who are sexually immoral. His word says so. He is the avenger in all these things. God will punish those who are sexually immoral and no one can get away with his sin. It may go undiscovered for a time, but it will not be undiscovered in the eyes of the Lord. He knows all. He's omniscient. He knows everything. And one day our sin will be revealed and it will be dealt with. And it will be dealt with by the Lord God. So that's the first reason. The second reason we find in verse 7. Look at verse 7. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. There it is again, that ideal of us growing in holiness, becoming more and more holy, being set apart for God's use. We're either becoming less holy or we're becoming more holy. But the second reason here says God has called us to be sexually pure, specifically. He wants us to be pure before Him in the area of our sexuality. That is our call. What's God's call for my life? It's to be sexually pure. You don't have to search the Scriptures any further to see part of God's will for you. 
You don't need to know uh, what you should major in. You don't need to know what job to take. You need to know and deal with God wanting you to be sexually pure. That's what's revealed for us here today in God's Word. That call is to holiness, not to unholiness. It's to cleanliness, not to uncleanliness. Therefore, sexual immorality is simply inconsistent with those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Every one of us who have been saved are in Christ, and every one of us are called to this high standard of sexual purity. Amen? So that's two reasons that we see already. And so Paul is going to develop here the same line of thought that he lays out in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let me give you some verses to, to look at how we can glorify God in our body and our spirit. Just jot these down. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11 and then that same chapter verses 15 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11 and 15 through 20. We see that there. Now, let's look at the third and final reason for these commands. Look at verse 8. The third reason for sexual purity is because to reject God's call to sexual purity is not rejecting man, but it is rejecting God Himself. Look at verse 8. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Friends, when we choose to sin, when we choose to fornicate, when we choose immorality, when we choose to view pornography, when we choose to have adulterous affairs and relationships, when we choose to watch explicit content on our phones, our computers, our televisions, when we choose to, to, to do those things, to go over and relish those things in our mind, we are sinning against God. And God will punish us. He will. He will, he will, he will discipline His children he will punish those who are not his children, but he absolutely will. He will punish us, and we have to realize that when we do this, we are defacing God's holy character, his holy nature. We are rejecting God's call to sexual purity. We are rejecting God himself. And despite the pretty ways many of us may try to rationalize our sexual immorality, we are still rejecting God himself when we sin in this way. That's the bottom line, friends. And Paul's strong command here, again, is that we are not to be this way. We are not to walk in this way. I mentioned just a moment ago, it doesn't seem that he's trying to correct their poor behavior. It seems from the context here, unlike in the letter he wrote to the Corinthian church, where there was much promiscuity and immorality, it seems that he's just trying to warn and to head them off from these areas here in Thessalonica, in this letter to the Thessalonians. No specific sin was mentioned here. Just this general ideal of holiness and being sanctified sexually. Not to be uh, engaged in porneia, the broad term for immorality, sexually speaking, but for us to be holy, set apart here. He wants to prevent rather than rebuke the sin here. He wants to prevent it in light of the prevailing low standards in their society, in their culture, because he knew how seductive immorality is. He knew how strong the debased sexual sins could be, how, how strong they were, and he wanted to thwart those urges. He wanted to head them off. And so, friends, we need to heed the warnings here of Paul. Amen? We need to do that. We need to pray, God, help me in this area. We could pray like David. If we've already been engaged in this area, we need to realize that we have an outlet, we have an option, we have something for us. And, and, and if I could just, just very, very quickly look here at our resource that's available. Our resource is God's Holy Spirit itself, Himself. God's Holy Spirit Himself in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. God has given us, He's sealed us with His Spirit. He's also empowered us with His Holy Spirit. We have all of those heavenly resources available to us through God's Spirit. We, we learn about it through God's Word. But we're empowered through God's Holy Spirit. And so he says, it's the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. There's only one God. Amen? The Lord God Himself. Yahweh. Only one true God. And He gives us His Holy Spirit so that we can, by the Holy Spirit, be empowered to overcome our sexual sin. We could cry out like David does in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. If you've been engaged in sexual promiscuity, in sexual immorality, in pornography, or, or any of these other things that we've talked about today, you can repent right now. In fact, I would encourage you to do so right now. Cry out, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Forgive me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit. Create in me a spirit that's wanting to do your will. 
Give me that, oh God. Help me to set aside, to lay aside, to put off sexual immorality, to put on holiness and purity, to be sanctified, to stop looking at, watching, viewing those things that would, that would cause me to sin, those things that are tempting, those things that take advantage of others and, and that defame and, 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 and dishonor you, O oh God, and help me to put on things that are holy, things that are pure. Would you make that your prayer right now, this morning? I pray that would be all of our prayer this morning. We have to remember that God seeks for us to honor Him in this way. Amen? And we have the power to do so because of God's Holy Spirit. So Christian, are you honoring God with your thought life? Are you setting your mind on things above and not on earthy, not on debased things, immoral things? but on lofty things, things that are heavenly, things that are beautiful and pure and holy. I don't have this passage before us today, but if you would, just turn to Philippians chapter 4. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 8. The Apostle Paul writing to the Christians in, Thessal- in, excuse me, in the church of Philippi. He says, Finally, brethren, so Christian, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Folks, you cannot dwell on these things and dwell on the things that are debased and and earthy. You and I cannot be honoring God in these passages by thinking about taking advantage of someone else sexually. We cannot be doing this in fornicating with images of, 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 of immorality sexually explicit things. We cannot listen to sexually explicit things and honor God in this way. We must honor God in purity. And it begins in the purity of our thought life, in the purity of our heart. So would you join me in prayer right now? Christian, is there something you need to confess today? Is there something we need to confess today concerning our thought life? Would you cry out to God? God, have mercy on me, the sinner. God, forgive me of my impure thoughts. I set apart I set aside these impure thoughts, Lord God. I repent. I turn from them. Forgive me. Cleanse me. With, as with hyssop, as David cried out. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. God, create in me the desire now to be holy. Help me to put on righteous thoughts, pure thoughts, honorable thoughts, right, pure, uh, lovely, uh, good re- re- reputed thoughts, any excellent thoughts, worthy of praise type of thoughts. Help me to do those things right now, God. Put those things within my brain and help me to dwell on those things so that I can honor you. Would you cry out to God, Christian? Perhaps you're watching here this morning and, and you're not a Christian. You're hearing this and, and, and maybe it's struck a nerve. Maybe it's angered you in some way because you are engaged in, in, in sexual um, fornication, as, as we've mentioned, porneia of this way, some type of sexual immorality. And yet God's, God's Spirit is, is calling you to Himself. He's helping you to realize that those things are ungodly and wrong and He's calling upon you to be saved. He's revealed Himself to you. Would you, would you submit to God? Believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead? Calling out upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Re- recognizing that Jesus is the one true God? Believing that He is the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus? Would you confess your sins before Him now? Again, God have mercy on me, the sinner. I confess it. I set it aside. I want to be saved this morning. And God, I know that there's nothing good in me that deserves saving. And yet you give your spirit unto me. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ Jesus alone that you have called me to repentance and that you've empowered me to be saved by way of your Holy Spirit. So God, thank you for saving me this morning. All God's people say, Amen. If that's you, Welcome to God's family. And I would encourage you to be obedient unto the Lord. Our first act of obedience upon becoming new Christians is to, is to let the world know, to be identified in Christ. And that way the Scripture defines that is through that first ordinance of believer's baptism. We're buried with Christ in baptism. We're raised to walk in the newness of life. It demonstrates what God's Spirit has done inside of us, to our soul, to our spirit, of, 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 of bearing that old us and then raising us up new creations in Christ Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? Just that, a new creation. The old things have gone and behold, all things have become new. So if that's you, I would pray and, and encourage you to reach out to us. You can do so by, by our website 
website, gpehchurch.com. You can do so even in the text under this, this, this stream. Send us a, a message here on Facebook. Call out to someone that maybe invited you to join along. Get a hold of me somehow through these social media forms or, or the telephone, whatever, smoke signal, whatever it takes, and let's appoint a time. Let's get a time together for you to be scripturally, biblically baptized in obedience unto the Lord. If you need a church home, and if you're a Christian without one, you do need a church home. We're made for communion, community, for fellowship. We would invite you to unite with us at Grace Point at Eagle Heights. Very soon, we're going to be meeting together, should the Lord will it. Very soon, we'll be meeting together again at 11815 Interstate 10 East, right here in Orange, Texas. But until then, we'll continue to broadcast through Facebook. You'll be able to find us on YouTube. Let me just say, if you're not a subscriber for, for our services, uh, our, our sermons, our studies on YouTube, just look for uh, Gapa Church, look for Grace Point at Eagle Heights Church. You may even find it under my name, Kevin Inman, but look for Grace Point at Eagle Heights Church on YouTube. If you're not already following or you haven't liked the page, please follow the page. The more followers we have, in fact, I think if we hit 100 followers, we'll be able to begin streaming for free on YouTube, just like we are here on Facebook Live. So, so please help us in doing that. If you're a guest here with us, this is not for you, what I'm about to say, but it is for our members. We still have obligations that we are financially responsible for, church members. So if you haven't been able to give this week, I encourage you to do so, either mailing your check to the church address or or giving online, just go to gpehchurch.com. At the very top right-hand corner of our website, there's a, a uh, Give Now type button, I believe it says. And you can click that, and there are a few options of how you can give. Either through a secured website there, or you can text or do some other things as well. But, but, but please do that to help support the ministry. We have uh, been supporting our missionaries. We're supporting... The Crisis Pregnancy Center. We're, we're supporting a, a few missionaries. One I want to call out right now, um, Brother Samuel over in India. They've been able to watch along because of these broadcasts, so hello to you. I know that they are under very strict quarantine type situations uh, right now. They're having difficulty uh, getting things that they need, but because of electronic technology, we've still been able to support them financially and help to get those funds to them so that they can continue ministering the way they've been doing so in the past and we pray that they will continue just it's, it's amazing to me that how we can do something as small as send money every month to pastor samuel and his congregation there in india and we can be a part of the gospel message being spread we can be a part of of that gospel then being used to save people even in india and beyond praise god for that and you've been able to be a part of that by your financial support well, that's all for now. I want to sign off here now, but I don't want to encourage you as I do. Just be mindful of those folks in our church that have lost loved ones recently. You know who they are. We've listed them on church for privacy's sake. I won't do that here on this broadcast, but uh, we, we want to just be praying for those. Know that we love you. Know that we're longing for the day that we can see you uh, more than just driving by and honking. And, uh, and, and please keep doing that. So many of you have been doing that. Um, a few of you have, have dropped off things at, the, at, uh, at my house. I appreciate that. Uh, that's not a hint for any more. Wink, wink, wink. Um, but you've, you've brought things like Chick-fil-A sandwiches or Cokes or, or whatever, you know, healthy things like that. Uh, if it's the Lord's chicken, it's got to be good. Amen? Amen, all God's people said. But uh, anyway, we're going to be joining again together on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, if the Lord wills. Wednesday night, we'll, we'll be studying again, and I'll announce that here very soon, what that new study will be for this Wednesday. There's a few things I've been tossing around, a few I've mentioned already, so we're going to pick one of those. In fact, uh, why don't you just tell me what it is that you might want to study in the, in the um, what do you call these things below here? comments. That's it. In the comments below, tell me what it is that you want to study this Wednesday night, and we'll see about possibly making that happen. All right, so God bless you. Until we're able to meet again, God bless. Hit the recording button at top. Did it end? Huh? All right. Now, is that the thing about saving on the screen? Alright, so watch here now. We'll do share. And share it like this. Go ahead and share it like that.
as I finish them in, a little more, I want to send a photo library. Copy. That work out okay? That's awesome. That was a solid hour, huh? That was an hour and a half. What did you say? Oh, yeah. My message was like 58 minutes. Ooh, is that too long? Alright, so now that's the end. Yeah. Alright, so now I'm going to go here to the photo library. Alright, babe. Dogs are Do you listen? Yeah. You watch? No. Oh, you just listen? I'm on Facebook. I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, uh, I missed the last 10 minutes. Pippa kept acting a fool in my room, so I had to close my door to keep her out. Oh. Is she okay? I don't know. I think she might be constipated. Pippa? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's give her some wet food and put but some... She uh, can't go to the bathroom. She thinks the problem is the litter box, I think, and so she'll come and just try to use the bathroom in my room. Ooh. That's not good. No. She's also... Really bad reasoning. What? Whenever Pippa can't use the bathroom, she thinks the problem is the litter box, and so she'll come and use the bathroom. So I think having like get up and like screw all kinds of things. I'm just like, okay. I understand the message for today. You got the gist of it? I got the gist. I can miss the last 10 minutes. Alright, what are we doing for lunch? Uh, tamales. Alright, what am I doing for lunch? Watch your tamales. <laughs> you big dummy. You know tamales for me.